Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow... I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as, ne- such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. 
How you doing this morning? All right. Well, my spirit is excited to be with you today, and my flesh is wore out. I try to get myself hype every Sunday morning so that you can get fired up for Jesus, but I might need your help this morning to keep me up on my feet because it's been a long weekend with the Neighbors Conference, and I spent a late night in the ER with my son, and so I'm going to need you to help me out. Can you help a pastor out? All right. Oh, that was a good start. All right. So why don't we take it from the top? I need you to help me. Everybody say, God's glory. And everybody say Pharaoh's folly. Our story today from Exodus chapter 9 is a story about the people of God suffering, struggling, caught in the middle of a battle between a good and gracious and just and holy God and a foolish Pharaoh. They're in the middle of a spiritual conflict. God's goodness, spoiler alert, you ready for this? God's goodness is going to win the fight. That's true in this story, in the book of Exodus, and that's just true in the history of the world, and that's true in your life. God's glory is going to win the fight. But sometimes when you're in the middle of the fight, it's hard to believe that. I suspect, people of God in this room, that there's some of us who can relate to the Israelites in the middle of this story. We're trying to trust the Lord We're trying to walk by faith, but we feel like we're caught in a big fight between good and evil. And there's chaos all around us, and there's pain all around us, and there's death all around us, and there's injustice all around us. And we got our own sin to deal with in our own lives, and it can feel scary when you're in the middle of the story, can't it? But we already know who the winner is. God's glory is going to win the fight. So I want to invite you right now, let's just take a second to let that sink in. In your spiritual journey right now, I don't know what all of you are going through. I know what some of you are going through, and some of you are going through some really hard stuff. And there's others that I don't know the battle. I don't know the journey. But whatever fight you're in the middle of, we already know the winner. Who's going to win? God's going to win. Jesus is going to win. So let's just take a second to bow our heads. And I just want to invite you now to do what... The Apostle Peter invites the saints of God to do is to take your cares, take your anxieties, and cast them on the shoulders of Jesus because he cares for you. Right now, whatever's on your heart, whatever's distracting you, whatever's burdening you, just give it to Jesus. Ask for his help and remember in this moment of silence that God is going to win this fight. Let's bow our heads together. Our gracious Father in heaven, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. We praise you for being good. We praise you that your steadfast love, as Jordan Hedrick prayed a moment ago, is a rock that we can stand upon. Even in the midst of chaos and frustration. And Lord, only you know the burden on every heart in this room. Only you know what struggles we're facing God, but you already see the end of the story. We can't see it fully yet, though we can read about it in your word, when Jesus comes in glory to make all things new. And you already know the details of how you're going to take the most painful things in our life and work them together for good. 
But since we don't see all that and have all that information, sometimes we struggle. And so I pray this morning for a ministry of your Holy Spirit. God, I ask you to do what no man can do and definitely what I cannot do, which is to refresh the hearts of your people with the knowledge of your unfailing love and with a hope in your sure victory. Pray for anybody here who doesn't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, that your spirit would draw us into that relationship and help us to trust Jesus. And I pray for all those who are already trusting you, that they would leave here encouraged and empowered for this week's walk of discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what we read today was the story of the seventh plague. Last week we read the first three plagues, and now we're skipping ahead a little bit. But what I really want to do is zoom in on the words of the Lord that are spoken in verses 13 through 17 of our text, because those few verses give us a kind of window to see inside of the purposes of God what's going on in this long story of Exodus in which a holy and mighty God is saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, and then bringing plagues on the land of Egypt. So let's look at those words together. Turn your attention with me to verse 13. The Lord says to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Now, that's an echoing refrain throughout this whole section of Exodus. So everybody say, let my people go. We talked about that last week. That is a reminder that our God is a liberating God. In this spiritual battle, God has a purpose to make his people free. And in this story, he's setting them free spiritually. He's also setting them free politically, economically from their slavery. And as we trust in Jesus Christ, we know one day when Jesus comes back, that'll be the end of every kind of bondage, won't it? No more political, economic exploitation or oppression when Jesus comes back. But until then, we live between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And the world is a mess. Amen. But we can already begin to experience the depth of the freedom that is ours in Christ. Because if you've trusted in Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again, you are free from sin. You are free from Satan. You are free from death. You are free from fear. You're already free in the Lord as you wait for the second coming of Christ. So the Apostle Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the word of the Lord through Moses to Pharaoh is, let my people go. Set them free so that they may serve me. Now, that second phrase means God doesn't just want to set us free so we can act like fools. God wants to set us free from what's binding us so that we can know the true freedom, which is relationship with God. He doesn't just want us to be unconstrained. He wants us to be people who know the 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 liberating bond of covenant relationship with the living God. Did you hear me? Because our culture seems to be confused about freedom. When we talk about freedom, when we talk about liberation, often what we seem to mean in our culture is I want to be free to do whatever I want. Now, sometimes in my life, I have tried doing whatever I want. Guess what? Did it lead to me feeling free? In your life, when you just do whatever you feel like, do you feel free the next morning? Actually, what our culture means by freedom often when it says, I just want to do whatever I want. I want to follow my desires, follow my heart with no constraints on me. What the Apostle Paul calls that is slavery to the destructive passions of the flesh. The real freedom that Christ has come to give us is freedom from everything that would destroy us. Freedom that from everything that would rob us of joy. 
Freedom from everything that would hinder us from being fully human, human beings. Which is to say, freedom from everything that would hinder us from knowing God. And that's the freedom that comes only through Jesus Christ. Let my people go that they may serve me. God's purpose is to liberate and to sanctify, to set the people free and to make them holy, to teach them how to walk with him. Verse 14, continuing through the text, says, For this time... I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh refused to listen to the Lord. So God started bringing plagues. And in the chapters that we skipped, what we found over and over is whenever God would speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh would not listen. And whenever God sent a plague, Pharaoh still had a hard heart and would not listen to God. So God is increasing the pressure because God refuses to make peace with evil in his universe. A holy and just God refuses to leave his people in bondage forever. So the Pharaohs, uh, the, the, excuse me, the plagues are getting more intense and they're going to touch Pharaoh closer to his core now. What's the purpose? The purpose is explained in the following verses. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. And you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up. God says, I'm the one who put you in charge. I already knew you were a hard-hearted fool. But I have allowed you to remain in your position of power for this purpose. That might bother you or it might comfort you. The word of God is very comforting, but sometimes in a way that makes us uncomfortable first. And this is a picture of a sovereign God who has good purposes. But he says here to Pharaoh, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. And then the Lord goes on to describe the plague. Now, let me make a few observations about those verses. First, I want to observe that there are that God always has a purpose when he delays his redemption. God has a purpose when he delays his redemptive work. This is a hard pill pill to swallow. Anybody ever gone through a really hard situation and you cried out and cried out and cried out to God, deliver me, help me, rescue me. And it seemed a long time before God answered. Anybody waiting on the Lord right now? I love the honesty of the Psalms and the Psalms. We find the Lord, the Lord's people crying out to the Lord with prayers that sometimes we're a little too scared to say out loud, even though we're thinking them and feeling them. And in the Psalms, we read God's people saying stuff to God like, how long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? I felt that way before. Have you felt that way? Y'all afraid to admit that you feel like the Psalms? Sometimes I think, God, I would like for you to heal the world today, not tomorrow. Sometimes I think, Lord, I'm tired of dealing with my own sin and frustration. I'm tired of dealing with the brokenness of this world. I've been asking you to provide resources and raise up laborers so that every kid in our community can have a mentor. I've been asking you to raise up labor so we can take the gospel into all the dark places in our community. I've been asking you to intervene in our broken school system. 
so that our teachers can get the resources that they need to help kids in our community. I've been praying and crying out, and it's still messed up over here. And so my heart starts to cry out, how long, oh Lord? Y'all ever been there? Somebody can be honest today. You ever been there? Okay, that's a little more convincing. I told you I'm already half asleep up here about to collapse. I need you to be with me this morning. There are purpose in the delays of God. He doesn't usually tell us what the purpose is. But look, he does in this story. Look what, look what, look what happens. God's talking to Pharaoh. He's actually not explaining himself to the Israelites. He just wants Pharaoh to know, I could have already knocked you out, Pharaoh. Look at verse 15. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Pharaoh, you have not seen my power yet. We've been having this little showdown where you keep trying to resist me. But if you want to know, Pharaoh, I could just snap my fingers and you would be wiped out and the people would be free. God does not lack the power to take care of this quickly. Now, if the people of Israel overhear this conversation, they might be thinking, God, why don't we go ahead and do that real quick? God's delaying. But the next words are for this purpose. And we can stop right there. Because God doesn't usually tell us his purpose, but God has a purpose. So everybody repeat after me. This is a hard word, but I want you to say it out loud because I want, it, I want this to be something we can remember. You're going to need this in your spiritual life. Everybody say, there's always a purpose, always a purpose. in God's delays. God's delays. You remember what Peter says when he's writing to Christians who are suffering? Say, I thought Jesus were going to come back. Peter, I thought you said Jesus was going to come back. It's been a few years here we are 2,000 years later saying, come Lord Jesus, right? And Peter responded by saying, listen, God's timetable is not like your timetable. To the Lord, a 1,000 years is like a day, and a day is like a 1,000 years. That last one will kind of blow up your mind if you think about it. God is eternal. He's outside of time, and he's working out his purposes in time with grace. But Peter says, here's why God delays, because he's patient with you, not desiring anybody to perish. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back the day before you got saved? Jesus could have came back the day before I got saved, and I would have faced well-deserved judgment. And sometimes we might be crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come back. Why are you leaving us down here? Because somebody that you've been praying for needs to get saved tomorrow or 10 years or 20, 30 years from now. God doesn't always tell us his purpose, but when he delays, he always has a purpose. And so here's the real question for us Christians is God's track record of steadfast love and faithfulness sufficient for us to trust him even when we don't know the purpose behind his delays? And I think the only way to answer that question is to look into the eyes of Jesus on the cross. Son of God dying for me, saying, this is how far I will go to save you even in the midst of your sin. And if I make eye contact with Jesus on the cross, I have to say, yes, God's track record is sufficient. I can trust him. I can trust him even in the midst of chaos and delay. I want you to notice in this text also that God is committed to making his name, which is to say his nature and his character, known on all the earth. That's the God's glory part. Everybody say God's glory. God is good, God is great, and He wants to show His goodness and greatness to everybody. 
That's the purpose for God's delay, according to God in this text. Look with me again at the second half of verse 14. Why is God taking his time? Well, in the second half of verse 14, he says, So that you may know, you Pharaoh may know, that there is none like me in all the earth. There's no one like God. No one great like him. And then skipping down further, verse 16 again, For this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power. That's you Pharaoh. But then listen. So that... My name may be proclaimed in all the ends of the earth. I want all the peoples and all the nations to hear my name. And in the Bible, when we hear about the name of the Lord, what we're talking about is the character of, of the Lord, the attributes of the Lord, the nature of God. God wants everybody everywhere to see him and to know his glory. God is committed to his own glory. You see that? Now, I want to talk about what this means for a second, because I think sometimes we get tripped up. God is committed to glorifying his name. God is committed to glorifying his name. God will make his name known in all the earth. He will do whatever it takes to do that. And that's really, really good news for us. But sometimes I think we have a hard time understanding that good news because we forget about the difference between God and us. Now, tell me how this makes you feel. If, if I come here and say... I'm going to allow you to keep going through some hard times because I am steadfastly committed to the whole world knowing how great John Mark is. Does that make you like me more? No. If you got some friends that feel like at the top of their priority list is I want everybody to see the greatness and glory of me. Is that a positive attribute about that person? So sometimes because we confuse God with people, we start when we hear stuff like this, we start thinking that sounds maybe a little impressive, but I'm not sure if I like that about God. Can we be honest? You never felt that way. But the thing is, God is not a man. But there's there's several key differences here between God and us. Here's one difference. God really is the greatest and most glorious thing in the universe. Unlike me, that's one key difference. But here's another key difference. God doesn't need anything. We do not serve a needy God. When God says, I'm committed to making my name known in all the earth, that's not because God has some sort of like uh, emotional need to get attention from people. God has no needs. God is infinitely, eternally happy. I mean, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. A second ago when we sung, praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You remember that? That's the Trinity. Everybody say Trinity. And if we want to go deep into the doctrine of the Trinity, we would start to learn about what the old theologians called the blessedness or the happiness of God, which is to say that, you know, and we in our lives, when we experience something good, that makes us happy, right? When your relationships are going well, you get happy. When you eat a delicious meal, you get happy. When you see something beautiful, you get happy. And all those yearnings for goodness and truth and beauty in our heart for relationship and love are leading us to God who will satisfy us forever. But God eternally has been enjoying God, the infinitely satisfying one. The Father has been loving and delighting in the perfection of the Son from eternity. The Son has been loving and delighting in the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit for eternity. God is not needy. He doesn't need our attention. He doesn't need our worship. Guess who needs for us to worship God? We do. So when we hear God is committed to God's glory, we're not talking about an emotionally needy God. That's just another way of saying God and his love is committed to bringing hope and joy to all the ends of the earth. That's what's being said. 
Last week I talked about Psalm 67. Let's think about it again in this light. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be what? Let the nations be glad and sing for, huh? Sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. The world is filled with people like you and me who are desperate for something greater than themselves that can rescue them and satisfy their souls. And his name is Yahweh. I am who I am. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Only God can bring hope to the nations. And all over the world, there's these desperate people. And all over the world, there's fools like Pharaoh trying to stand in the way of that. And God is saying, Pharaoh, you can't stop me. My purpose is to bring hope to all the world. And nothing can stand in the way of that. So when we talk about God's glory, what we're saying is this. God is infinitely good, infinitely satisfying, infinitely happy. But for God to be glorified means that people see and delight in that goodness and greatness of God. And they find hope. So God is saying here, I have a delay. But the reason I have a delay is because I'm going to work a greater salvation than you have yet dared to dream of. I have good purposes, not just for the Israelites, but for the struggling, suffering sinners all over the whole world. Jesus came and died for people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, which makes me glad because I wasn't born to a Jewish family. I was, my, my family line goes to back to some pagan druid, something, I don't know, it was in Britain. Everybody was dancing around crazy around Stonehenge, and then somebody came and preached the gospel. My family line goes back there somewhere. I'm so thankful. Jesus didn't come back before the gospel came to my people. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't come back before I got saved. God's purpose is to bring hope to all the ends of the earth. I want you to notice that this purpose of God to glorify his name really isn't a separate or second thing. From the purpose that was mentioned in verse 13, let my people go that they may serve me. God's purpose to liberate and sanctify us and God's purpose to glorify his name are the same purpose. Because our greatest need is to know the goodness of God. Only that can give us hope and salvation and security. Finally, I want you to notice the, the folly of Pharaoh. In this passage, Pharaoh is a fool. Pharaoh is a particular kind of fool, according to Scripture. You get the clue for what kind of fool Pharaoh is when you look at verse 17. Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. You are still exalting yourself. You're still thinking that you're the greatest in the universe, you're still thinking that you're the best. The, the kind of fool that that is, is a Hebrew word, which is halal. There's a whole bunch of Hebrew words that gets translated fool or folly in our, in our Bibles. And there's different kinds of foolishness and folly. But the halal fool is one that, if, here's a clue. If you take the word halal and you put it with the word Yahweh, the name of the Lord, what you get is hallelujah, which means glory to God. But the halal fool is one who, instead of saying glory to God with his life, says glory to me. Glory to me. A halal fool is the one who goes through the universe feeling like the greatest and the best and wants everybody to agree. 
The halal fool is described in the Psalms with these words. I said unto the fools, that's the word halal. I said unto the fools, do not deal foolishly. There's the word halal again. And to the wicked, lift not up the horn. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. You see, this kind of foolishness is expressed through arrogance and stubbornness. Arrogance and stubbornness. It's basically saying, God, you're all right, but have you seen me? Now, most of us would not say that out loud, but if we really think that way, here's how you can tell. You can tell because you ignore the word of God. Look through the rest of the passage for a second. Skip down to verse 20. God threatens the seventh plague. The Egyptians watch the first six plagues, and some of them are starting to think, we should probably take the God of the Hebrews seriously. So we read in verse 20, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. The fools did not take the word of God seriously and suffered the consequences. As you continue reading, in verse 27, we find a fake repentance from Pharaoh. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Moses, plead with the Lord for me, for there has been enough of God's thunder in hell. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And when God responds through Moses, he says that he's going to, Moses is going to pray, and God's going to relent. But then verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I knew, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. The theme of the fear of God has come up a lot in Exodus, hasn't it? Everybody say, fear the Lord. We're not talking about a servile fear of a slave that's afraid of being abused by a master. We're talking about the holy reverence and awe of children who say, my God is great and I love him and I want to take him seriously. And I don't want anything to come between this relationship, my relationship with him. That's where we ultimately want to go. But even a little servile fear like the other servants of Pharaoh had would be a step in the right direction to keep you from getting hail landing on your goat. Right. Pharaoh just doesn't fear God at all. He's a fool. He thinks he's more glorious than God. He thinks he's going to win this power struggle. We see that the repentance of Pharaoh is fake in the final verses from our passage, 34 through 35. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He wanted the consequences to go away. He just didn't want to stop sinning. And that might be a word that some of us need to ponder. Some of us really don't want to deal with the consequences of our sin, but we don't have a problem with the sin itself. Some of us keep sort of repenting because we don't like getting in trouble. But ultimately, we don't like getting in trouble, but there's no fear of God. There's no humility before the Holy One. There's no yearning for intimacy with the King. That's a heart check for some of us. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Pharaoh's folly is trying to stop God. Pharaoh's folly is manifest in arrogance, is manifest in hard-heartedness that refuses to take the word of God Seriously, but here's another spoiler alert. God's about to set the people free. God's about to set the people free. And when you come back in a few weeks, we're going to read the story of liberation. And don't worry, I'm going to let Chauncey preach that one because it's going to be better if he preaches it. Y'all know that. 
Call me back when you got a philosophical problem to talk about. Chauncey is going to tell the story of liberation. And on that day, everybody's going to dance around with tambourines and praise the Lord. And guess whose folly will be revealed? The folly of Pharaoh. Christians, I want you to think about this today. The same God who's at work in Exodus chapter 9 is the same God who became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again and ascended to heaven and sat down on the right hand of glory and who said, I'm coming again to judge the living and the dead. Behold, I will make all things new. It's the same God who invites us to pray to him and to worship him and to obey him every day. And what I want you to hear is that the kingdom of God is coming and nothing will stop it. His power is limitless. His power is limitless. Nothing can stop God. God will bring the knowledge of his name to the ends of the earth. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow the knee and sing praise to King Jesus. God will bring freedom and life and forgiveness and sanctification to people all over the world. Nothing can stop the coming of God's kingdom. If we or anybody resists the word of God like foolish, hard-hearted Pharaoh, then what we will experience is what it's like to be on the outside of the coming of the kingdom. What we will experience is the same thing Pharaoh experienced, which is the devastating results of being given over to the consequences of our sin. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for anybody, for anybody here, for anybody anywhere. God is pleading with Pharaoh. God's given the Egyptian people chance after chance after chance after chance. But here's the good news. If any sinner, any sinner in this room, any sinner in the world, humbly confesses our sins and comes to Jesus and comes to the cross of Christ, what we will find is a God of infinite mercy, a God of grace, a God who says in Isaiah that he's waiting to be gracious to us. What we'll find is a God who says, I forgive you. A God who says, I've always loved you. What we'll find is the father who Jesus described in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that parable? The son acted a fool and dishonored his father and rebelled. And then when he found himself miserable, he said, maybe if I go back, God will, my, or my father will let me be a servant in his house. But when he started coming back, the father ran out to him and wrapped his arms around him. That's the God we will find if we repent. And if we humble ourselves and Christian, there's some of us in here that already did that. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with. Here's the truth today. Any of us here, any of us sinners, no matter how much sinning we did last week, yesterday, last night, this morning, no matter how much rebellion and folly there has been in our lives. It's amazing. You can bring a life, a lifetime of sin to a gracious God and say, I repent, have mercy. And God will not only say, I forgive you. He said, I'm going to give you a place to reign with my son in the kingdom when it comes. So the call of this text is just don't resist the glory of God. 
Don't exalt yourself. Don't persist in stubborn, stiff-necked rebellion. Hear the word of the Lord for you and for everybody you love and for everybody you know. Anybody who comes to Jesus will receive salvation and life. The kingdom is coming. God is going to win. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you just for the assurance of your victory. Thank you that the story of the world does not ultimately depend upon us and our decisions, but upon your steadfast love. Lord, I pray that as we wait on your coming, that we would have hearts of humble faith. Lord, I pray for people in the room who are just tired because like the Hebrews in this story, they're caught in, a, in the middle of conflict and they're just getting trampled and beat up and they're tired and they're exhausted. Lord, would you come by your spirit even right now and just whisper to the hearts of these saints, I love you, I love you, and I'm going to win. You're going to share in my victory. And I pray for anybody here right now who's got a heart more like Pharaoh that's been resisting you. Would your spirit right now move to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh? Would you give us grace to humble ourselves and come to you with repentant faith, Lord, knowing that you never turn those away who come to you with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Lord, as we go to the Lord's table now, give us spiritual eyes to see and hearts to believe that Our hope is the body and blood of Jesus, to trust in Jesus Christ. Bless the cup, bless the bread, bless our hearts to receive the gospel by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.